Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph, and we are today in Lesson 77, and we go to the book of Luke, chapter 19 and verse 1. We will read the story of uh, Christ bringing salvation in, in the sense of uh, knowledge and understanding and hope and the open door to a member of one of the sons of Israel. And so we read in verse 1, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Two bad things, you know, in those days. People didn't like this kind of people. Anyway, in verse 3, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of a short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And you can imagine what was behind the scenes. Christ knew about that man, he knew his name, being the Son of God, obviously, he did know an awful lot of things, and he could read thoughts of men, and he was going to deliver a message through this man also, and so we read in verse 6, So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He is going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Instead of being joyful, instead of having the right attitude that the leaders should have to bring back those who are lost, that's the way they thought about it. Unfortunately, there are many in our midst today who still think that way. Verse 7, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying he was gone, he is going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. In other words, they say, we are not, he is. Then Zacchaeus stood and stood to the, to the, the Adon, that is the Lord. Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And verse 9 we read, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you just read it as a story by itself, you're not going to get the background and understand what is happening here. The God of Israel came to his wife, his own people, and when you take into account all the prophecies, all that is inspired, all the prophets to write about his coming, and the atonement that he's going to bring to his own people, and the salvation, and the deliverance, and he's not going to let them just get lost and remain there. No, he's going to bring them back to himself. And that's a part of the story. And so when you take that, you have to take that with the background of all the prophets, of the whole plan of God for Israel, for his nation, for his wife, for his people, for the deliverance, and then through them for the rest of humanity. And verse 11, Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. In other words, why, when they heard those things, they began to wonder about it. What is he talking about? Some people. And so, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. 
You see, their knowledge and understanding of the kingdom of God is the biblical one and that of, the, of Moses and the prophets, and that of God, not the false concept that developed later on. So they knew when the Messiah appears on the scene, at least that's only what they understood it at the time, and to this day the Jews still feel that way and understand that way. They did not know about two comings, first time, second time, first time to uh, atone for the sins of his of his wife and the entirety of the earth, and the second time to come back as a conquering Messiah, to bring them deliverance, physical deliverance and spiritual deliverance as a whole for the entirety of the nation. So they thought, knowing all the prophets, reading the prophets, reading the law, that now they're in tribulation, as Moses spoke about it, and they're seeking God, and they're turning to God, and they were responding to the baptism of repentance of John the Baptist, Therefore, they thought, well, now, there it is. Just like Isaiah spoke, just like Malachi, that cry that the Messiah is coming for the great day of, of the Lord. And he is the Lord. So now the kingdom is coming. And that's what they were talking about, and they were dead right, because they understood it, just did not understand the timing. While all those who came after that went into left field, and they are still marooned in uh, Never Never Land, and they don't know what the kingdom of God is all about. They don't know what the church is all about. They don't know what the teachings of that, of that church is, are all about. The laws, the statutes, the judgments, the precepts. And they're totally in the dark in so many ways. And they, and they totally confuse everything that they are reading here in the New Testament. And the writings of the disciples. And we must be uh, very careful about it. Because since we came out of this world, we tend to think that way without even realizing it. The old teachings are still creeping into the, into the, the front of, uh, of the story, whatever we read, and we think in terms of what we've been taught all of our lives in the other world, the world of another counterfeit church. And so when we read the Word of God, every single word here, if you don't take the whole background and the context, you don't really comprehend and understand properly what you're reading, and you don't gain the proper appreciation for it, and so, we must always have the background and the context, and from that point of view, continue on. And by this time, we've had an awful lot of background, an awful lot of context, so hopefully it should be easier for you as you go through now, through the scriptures of the, of the disciples, of Christ himself, and uh, those who came after, you should be able to see it in a proper way, at least more than before. And so they wanted to know about the kingdom of God, just like the disciples later on, before they saw him go back to heaven. After he discussed the kingdom of God with them, and he discussed many of the things that were spoken by the prophets, he could have asked him an awful lot of things, because they had an awful lot of background about that kingdom. And so they wanted him, wanted to know, Lord, will you restore the kingdom to Israel now? You see, that's what they were talking about. Because they knew the kingdom was coming to the church. And the church was Israel, and they never thought any other thing but that. And so he told them the parable. And therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and to return. And so he gave them that parable of the kingdom. And that's basically what was the understanding, and what is still the understanding, uh, even in the Jewish community, in terms of the kingdom of God. The kingdom that is coming where God himself is going to be the ruler over all the earth. 
And of course, they don't understand that God and the Messiah are the same person. Well, we're speaking about uh, the, the second being in the, in the God family. And as it is, there's a, a lot of confusion, unfortunately, today, and uh, it seems to be intensifying. Instead of uh, more understanding and knowledge, there is less and less knowledge and understanding among many who do not understand that, and uh, some people totally lost it, and they think that it is a theory that there is God, and there is another being who is also God, instead of re realizing it is a reality, and their concept is a theory, that there is only one God because they don't even understand what it means. And one problem is that, of course, the devil is very active, and yet, on the other hand, people are not studying the Bible as they should. They're not reading it, and so they do not come up with, a, uh, with this knowledge and understanding throughout the entirety of the Scriptures. Well, God makes it very plain. There are two beings. As a matter of fact, when it comes to uh, the being that Christ said he is my father and he's greater than I. Basically, throughout the entirety of the scriptures, you see both of them having the same name with the exception of one. There is only one name that the father does not share with Jesus Christ. And most people may not even be aware of that, even though they read it many times. One name that you see in the Hebrew scriptures is that the name of the father, El Elyon, the Most High God was never, never throughout all the entirety of the scriptures applied to the one that became Jesus Christ, who was also the Eternal. And so, when you later on come up with this word, which came obviously not from the Bible, God, this is what they mean by that. And in the time past, they still have a better understanding of that. But when you speak about God, you're speaking about El Elyon, the Most High. And then when he's speaking about the second being in the divine family, you're not speaking about the Most High because there is only one. And so when he comes to the, to the writings in the New Testament, as it is called in the, in the world that became known as Christianity, the world of Christianity, and so you read in the New Testament and the writings of the disciples that it is very plain. There is only one God that is one El Elyon, one the Most High, you cannot have two Most High, one the Most High, one El Elyon, and that's what they meant when they say one God, that's what they refer to, one El Elyon, and one Lord, one Adon. And Adon is also a name of God, and both of them are called Adon, even though generally when the, the term Adon appears in the Hebrew Scriptures, it generally refers uh, only to Jesus Christ, but both of them are masters, Bo both of them are dons, but only one of them is El Elyon. One of them is the Most High God. And so, when you come to the writings of the disciples, who were very, very well aware of the Hebrew Scriptures, from the beginning until the end, they were not confused, they were not deceived, that knowledge was still there to a degree, some rabbis still had that understanding, because they saw the two beings, and they realized that both of them were divine, and some of them even recorded some of those statements in the Talmud and the Mishnah, in Jewish writings, and they're preserved to this very day for those who want to read them. And yet, of course, the majority of the Jewish, in the Jewish community, they know nothing about it, because uh, only the very few that read the entirety of it, you know, they are aware of it, and they don't like to make it uh, popular, among others. But anyway, this, this uh, was made very plain. 
And I think at this point it would be uh, useful since I hear about it all the time and uh, it will be a little bit digression here, but it is uh, beneficial to many who are confused and are going to be confused unless they are uh, given a better understanding. Uh, let's go a little bit uh, through this uh, reality of the two beings who are both eternal. And it's not that one of them was created 2,000 years ago or came to be manifested in the name of his father and people are, are making all kind of uh, uh, mental assumptions and uh, mental gymnastics to try to come up with an understanding of what it means being in confusion, unfortunately. So let's, let's go to the book of Zechariah. I'll just go through four instances where the God of Israel... The one that married Israel, the one that is called also Yehovah, that is eternal, was making a point four times for those who are hard of hearing. And I have no, do not have a heart to understand. And he says here in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 6, I'm just going to inject this part here because I think it is beneficial for those who are confused and want to have a solid ground to stand on and not be uh, deceived by uh, foolish arguments which they seem to be wise. I mean, you can deceive anybody with the scriptures if you're clever enough and uh, the other person that uh, you're talking to is not that clever. The Bible was written in such a way that only the wise can understand but the fool can be easily fooled. And so we read in uh, chapter 2 and verse 6 of Zechariah, up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Eternal, that's Yehovah. For I have spread, so mind you who is speaking here, Yehovah is speaking here, you know, the God of Israel. For I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Eternal, he is the one speaking. You know, note this point. He is the one speaking, not the prophet. And he continues, Up, Zion, escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon, and that's exactly where we are today and have been in the past 2,000 years. And in the days of Zechariah, the majority of the people of Judah were still in Babylon. And all the children of Israel, the majority of them, the overwhelming majority of them, were on the other side of the river of Babylon as Josephus will describe the location beyond the river, in other words, on the other side of the, of the Euphrates. So still in the vicinity of, the, uh, of uh, Babylon. And God is speaking to his people, and this one is in specific uh, to this age, because he's speaking about future reality. And so he's saying to his people today, and his people are all the hands of Israel. Some of them are spiritual, some have this Holy Spirit. And many don't. And some have the Holy Spirit, but are a bit confused. And so he says, Up, Zion, escape. Remember, we were talking all the time about who and the what. Who is Israel? The what is Zion or Jerusalem? That's symbolic of the nation. Up, Zion, escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. And that infects us, unfortunately, and infects us with the Babylonish teaching. That's why people are going back to confusion. Verse 8, For thus says the eternal of hosts, Yehovah of hosts. So Yehovah of hosts is saying, He sent me 
after glory. Now, what does it mean when the, when the Eternal says, He sent me? You see? If the Eternal comes to you and He tells you, He sent me, He's not talking about Himself, He's talking about somebody else who sent Him. Who is that person who sent Him? So there you already see that there are two beings here. I mean, who can send God? But God, who can send the Eternal, but another Eternal, who is greater than Him? El Elyon, the Most High. For thus says the Eternal of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. You know, speaking of Himself as the deliverer that God sends to His people to deliver them from the, from the nations that plunder them. For He who touches you touches the apple of His eye. In other words, the Eternal is saying to His people, to His nation, to His wife, to Israel, any of those nations who touch you and afflict you are as if they touch the apple, the apple of his eye, speaking about the one that we know is the Father. Verse 9, For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoiled for their servants. Then you will know that the Eternal of hosts has sent me. And this is what the Eternal is saying to his people, to his wife. I am the Eternal, the Lord of hosts, the Eternal of hosts, but somebody else sent me. And when I bring all those things to pass, then you will know that he sent me. You see? And he is now, is referring to another Eternal of hosts. So you see, both of them have the same name. Uh, the Eternal of hosts. And then the difference is that the other one is, uh, is called, and that's his name, and the second person doesn't have it. El Elyon, the Most High. You see? That's what Christ said when he came in the flesh. And this is the eternal of false speaking in the flesh. Jesus Christ, he said, my Father is greater than I. Than I. That's why he's called the Most High. I'm high, but he's the Most High. El Elyon. That's his name in Hebrew. The Most High God. Well, when we say God, we're speaking obviously, uh, you know, using the word that came later on, God. But it's El. God means deity. In other words, both of them are deities, but one of them is higher than the other. You see, in the scripture, made it very plain in many places. And yet those who are dwelling with Babylon, unfortunately, and do not come out of it, as the eternal host says, Up Zion, escape! You would dwell with the door of Babylon. And he's not talking about a physical escape, only spiritual escape. That's what the confusion is all about. People are still drinking of the waters of, you know, as Christ calls it, the wine of the wrath of the fornications of the great whore. And that's Babylon, mystery of the religion. You know? And so he's making it very plain. So this is the first one, first instance where he's speaking about that. But let's continue, second one. Then we read in verse 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Eternal, Jehovah. Who is speaking? The Eternal. Not the prophet. Verse 11, Many nations shall be joined to the Eternal in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst, 
then you will know that the eternal of hosts has sent me to you. Second time he's making a point, and very plainly. I'm the eternal of hosts, there is another eternal of hosts. And he's sending me to you, and I'm going to dwell in your midst. And you shall be my people, speaking to his wife, to Israel, to the church. So unfortunately, he's dwelling with the daughter of Babylon. That's why they believe lies. And that's why even us, many of us who have been called out of Babylon, not all the way, unfortunately, just like the children of Israel that came out of Egypt, they brought Egypt with them, and the overwhelming majority of us brought Egypt with us, brought Babylon with us, which is natural. That's what human beings do. And it's a long process to divest ourselves of every lie and deception that have seeped so deeply into our hearts and minds and nature and personality and character. It doesn't happen overnight. I wonder why the great deceptions are still there, at least in part for some people. But this one is a major one, and people are going back to this lie. So this is the second time. And then verse 12, he continues, Then the Eternal will take possession of Judah, his inheritance, in the Holy Land. That Palestine, for, for all, you know, all of you who love, uh, you know, in essence, you blaspheme God when you call his land Palestine. So, take heed. You know, you can argue with a man, but you cannot argue with your God when you stand up before him or before David and you call his land Palestine. And so he says, the eternal will take possession. In other words, when you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, then he's going to take, he says, then I know that the eternal of hosts will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. See, he never gave up on his people. That's his nation, that's his people. And he will never forsake them. And he's the eternal. He's their God. He's their creator. He's their husband. He's their father. He's their maker. And he was sent by somebody greater than him. And he's making it very plain. That when I come to you and perform all those things and manifest myself before you and destroy all the nations that come against you and come as a glorious being, then you will know that the eternal of hosts has sent me, who is also an eternal of hosts. And only blind who choose to be blind willfully would reject that. And I wouldn't like to be in the place of any one of those. We can listen to that, the words of God, not my own words. I didn't write the book of Zechariah. I didn't write anything that I'm speaking here in terms of reading the scriptures. I'm just quoting them. There's been an awful lot of foolishness in our midst. Delusion, you know, spirit of delusions that God said that people won't do, they do not have the love of the, of the truth. He's going to send them spirit of delusions. In other words, demons. That's basically what he's saying. He's going to send you demons if you reject the love of the truth, if you don't have it. And they're going to deceive you. And they certainly know how to do it. They've been around for a long time. They appear as angels of light. And they have ministers that appear as ministers of righteousness. And I hear about many of them around us in our midst. It's pathetic. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 8. Third time. Moreover, the word of the eternal, again, Jehovah came to me saying... Now, who is speaking here? The word of the eternal. God is speaking. 
The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Eternal of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? And many of us in our midst, unfortunately, are despising the word of God. That's the third time. He made it very plain. And for those who are hard of hearing, gives them another opportunity to know and understand this reality. That there are two of them. One is the Most High, El Elyon. As he's called later on, my father is greater than I am. That's what the context is all about. So let's go to chapter 6 of uh, Zechariah, and we read in verse 12. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Jehovah, saying, Jehovah Tzvaot in Hebrew, Eternal of hosts. Tzvaot means armies. So who is speaking here again? The Eternal is speaking here. Saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Now the Father is speaking here, introducing the second being. And he's calling him the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the eternal. Speaking about the physical temple that is going to be built, and speaking specific about the spiritual temple, which is the nation of Israel. They are the dwelling place, the inheritance of God. So it's speaking both ways. And of course also, if you want to add a third one, you know, the spiritual temple who are not spirit, uh, spiritual in the sense of receiving the Holy Spirit. But the entirety of the nation is the temple of God. That's why God from the beginning said, I want you to build, you, build me a sanctuary so I can dwell in your midst. And Israel became the temple of God. The dwelling place, in other words, of God. The sanctuary of God. The holy place of God. And so this is what the Father is saying. Behold the branch. Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the eternal. That is, I am the eternal. He is also the eternal. He is called the branch. Yes, he shall build the temple of the eternal, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule on his throne. You know, the throne that Christ came to rule on, the throne of David, to rule over the house of Jacob. And it is the king of Israel that is going to rule over them. It is their God. And so when he comes in Zechariah, you read in chapter 12 and 14, he comes as the eternal. And when he does, he says, I'm going to pour on you the spirit of grace and supplication, and then you shall see me whom you have pierced. And then you're going to see fulfillment of what we're reading here. Then you shall know that I am the eternal of hosts, who is sent by the Most High, El Elyon, who is also the eternal of hosts. And so verse 13, yes, he shall build the temple of the eternal, and he shall bear the glory, speaking about the nation of Israel, his own people, both spiritual and totally spirit beings, you know, a small fraction of them, first fruit, and then the entirety of the nation, which is in the process still of joining that temple of the totally spirit beings. And he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule on his throne, so he shall be a priest on his throne. A king and a priest, a royal priest, over a royal kingdom of priests and kings. That's why he's called king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to be a priest of priests too. 
And so it shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And all these two offices that he has, as a priest and a king. Verse 14, Now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the eternal, for Helen, and he's speaking about uh, four personalities there, that uh, God told Zechariah to make the crowns, and uh, uh, as you read in verse 11, uh, take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, uh, Yeho- Ye- well, Yehoshadak, the high priest of Jehoshadak, in English. And so he's telling them, uh, telling the prophet, now you take those crowns and put it in their head. And he says in verse 15, even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Speaking about the coming temple, and he's not talking about the one in between, between now and the coming of the Messiah, but the temple of Ezekiel, because that's the one he's going to dwell in. And under his throne shall come, from under his throne shall come a, a river of living waters that will go into the Dead Sea, as we read in Ezekiel, and later on you're going to read about it also in the heavenly Jerusalem, the same description. When the El Elyon descends with heavenly Jerusalem and dwells there with the Lamb, the second being, and the God family. You see, that is in the deity family. You see, when you say God, you get confused. That's what the problem is. People are so confused because they're using Babylonish terminology. See, when you go back to the original language, and that's why God says, well, the time will come when I'm going to give you a pure language. You're all confused. You know, your languages. You can't even understand when you read even the Bible because... It is translated in so many languages, and every time it looks different than any other translation that you read in other languages. And so God says, that is, El Elyon says, uh, even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the eternal. And, well, in this case, it's not the El Elyon, in this case, it's the eternal himself, the one that became Christ. Uh, even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the eternal. Then you shall know that the Eternal of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Eternal, your God, speaking by the El Elyon and about himself. And that's where the problem is. Obedience. Obedience to the Torah of God. A good understanding of all they that do his commandments and very many people unfortunately today do not have a good understanding because they do not obey the Torah of God. And in the process, they lose their mind. They lose their sanity. When God gives us his Holy Spirit, which is to lead us to truth, to his word, to his law, to his Torah, he gives the spirit of a sound mind and people who do not obey God and they find all kinds of excuses why shouldn't obey this and shouldn't obey that. They lose their mind. So they don't see straight anymore. But God made it very plain. The Elyon made it very plain. And his son, the one that became his son, who is also a high God, but he's not the most high, but he's a high God, you know. Uh, he's eternal. Both of them are the Lord of hosts. And all the names that you see of the deity... That is a genuine deity in the Hebrew uh, Scriptures and in the New Testament. Speak about this too. And yet there is one name that the Father has only for himself, and that makes it very plain. One is greater than the other. 
And so the one who is greater than the other is called El Elyon, and he's the only one who is called El Elyon. The one that became the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, the Christ later on, the king, the Messiah, is not called the El Elyon. There is only one. And so he made it very plain. My father is greater than I. You know, he's the El Elyon. I'm not. I'm under him. And so when he subdues the whole earth for a thousand years, we read in Revelation, then he's going to turn the kingdom to his father, the El Elyon, who's coming down from on high. And on the temple is called his temple. And when he came, he came to the temple of his father. Because he's the El Elyon. And he's the El Elyon also of Israel, of the whole earth. And so he's turning back the kingdom to him. And he becomes subject to him. And both of them rule the whole earth, their family, and the entirety of the universe together. And I think that God made it very plain here. But if we don't have ears to hear, well, let's not waste our time speaking, you know, to deaf people. We have no ears to hear. And that's what God told Isaiah, the Eternal, the God of Israel, the Messiah, the Savior, who is not the El Elyon, but the one that came from the El Elyon, was sent by him. He said to Isaiah, you go to, you go to this people, the people of Israel, my wife. You see, they are still his wife, his people, chosen people, holy seed. And you go and tell them, well, that's the way you want to go. Rebellious, disobedient to my Torah, stiff-necked. Okay, you're going to hear now and you will not hear. Because you're going to be deaf. And you, you know, you're going to try to understand it. You will not understand because your heart is going to be gross, and I'm going to blind you, and I will leave you in that state of mind until the end of days. But for those who fear the name of God and obey his voice and tremble at his word, as the Eternal of Israel say, the husband of Israel, the one that became the Messiah in Isaiah 66, you know, those who are willing to obey, uh, to fear and tremble at my word, I'll have respect to them. They're going to understand the otherwise. And so we're being purified today, and the fools among us are being Exposed for what they are. And any time you hear somebody telling you about this, uh, you know, this kind of foolishness about the theory of the two gods, you know you're talking to a fool. And this are not my words. These are the words of, uh, the, you know, the God of Israel. You know, as I spoke through David, the fool says in his heart that he's no God. So they talked about Jesus Christ said, well, he's not God. Anyway, let's continue now with the story. I just thought I'll inject this one because it was in my mind and uh, I just happened to read something and uh, talk to some people about this aspect. And I see it all the time, more and more in the so-called the body of Christ, you know, among the churches of God. There is too much blindness there and there is no reason for it. The scriptures are very plain. And here, four examples, one after the other. And how many times does God have to tell you something before you believe it? You can't say when you appeared before him, well, I didn't know that. Of course you did now. If you listen to that, no excuses. So better find a big rock you can hide under, because even that is not going to help you at that time. Or be wise, for it's too late. And so we continue now uh, in chapter 19, verse 28. You know, when he talked to Zacchaeus, he said, well, this day, you know, the salvation is coming to your house. And he's offering it to all of his people. And he's offering it today to his people. They're willing to listen. But you must obey the Torah. There is no other way. You see, I'm going through all that. We're going through all that. And hopefully every single one of you, as you're listening, don't listen to a word of men. Open the Bible and read it along. 
So God speaks to you directly. See? So you don't say, well, such and such said this and that. No, I read it with my own eyes in the Word of God, and God spoke to me through His own words. So your faith will be in God and not in man. As it is, unfortunately, the case with many. You are listening to men, and their faith is based on what men say. shouldn't believe any man. As a matter of fact, God says to Jeremiah, and we should remember that, Cursed be the man that puts his trust in men. And if your faith is based on what any man says, you're going to be cursed, not blessed. Now you should listen to God, to his word, to his prophets. And whoever man speaks, then you have to make sure that they are the words of God, the words of the prophets, not their own words. And so, he told them that the kingdom, and he is the king, and he is the eternal, and he was sent by the most high God. And so we continue in verse uh, in verse 28, we read more about it. And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. After, you know, he had a discourse with them, telling them a few things about the kingdom. That is coming over Jacob, his wife. And he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage uh, and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, or Zetim, Harar Zetim, Mount of Olives, uh, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where, as you enter, you will find a cold tide, and on which no one has ever set. Loose it and bring it there. And if anyone asks you, why are you losing it? That you shall say to him, because the term, because the, uh, the Adon, that is, the master, the Adon, and that's the word they used for him, the Adon, it's not just master, there are a lot of masters. That's why I say, you know, Jesus Christ said to his disciples, call no man a master, for one is your master, and speaking about the word Adon, one is your Adon. And that terminology says, don't give to any man, but only to your creator. So he says, because the, the Adon has need of it, of the Lord in, uh, in English. So those who served, who were sent, went their way and found it just as he had said to them. Because he's the Adon, he's God, he knows all those things without even being there. But as they were losing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you losing the colt? And they said, the, the Adon has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set, they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So you see, you know, the children of Israel, that you know, the members of the wife, as the husband is coming to them, as Zechariah prophesied, you know, behold, he comes to you, humble and lowly, riding on a colt. And, uh, you know, they had an understanding there from the prophet Zechariah. And they, they knew, this is the Adon, this is the, this is the Lord that is coming to us, this is our deliverer. And unfortunately, the leaders poisoned the minds of many, and as time went by, well, it became easier to poison the minds of many, because Christ was not on the scene anymore, and his disciples were not around, and it's easier to deceive people who haven't been there. But you see the, the response of an awful lot of the people of, of Israel, of Judah, uh, to their God, to their Maker, to their Messiah, to their Savior, to their Adon, the one who was sent by the Most High. And so... The, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, verse 37, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God, praise the Most High, that is, 
with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King. There is only one who is the King who comes in the name of the Eternal. See, they knew that he is the King of Israel, the God of Israel, who is coming in the name of the Most High. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So there wasn't total ignorance there. There was light, knowledge, and understanding. There was faith. And that was as a result of obedience to the Torah. See, there are a lot of people who just have head knowledge, like many of the Pharisees had a lot of head knowledge, but in their heart they did not obey the Torah. That's why he told them, none of you obeys the Torah. Oh, you can keep the Sabbath and tithing and this and that and the other thing, but you know, but if there is sin and iniquity in your heart and you have contempt for um, uh, many of the teachings of the Torah, it's as if you have, you know, you've obeyed nothing. You know, James will tell us later on. That's what he meant by that. And so people who do obey the God, the God of Israel, then he dwells in their hearts and their minds, and then they are not confused, and they are not children of Babylon, and they don't come up with all this foolishness. You know, the theory of the two gods. And, you know, God the Son, some, you know, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, what is he? You know, people are confused, unbelievable. Because they've chosen to be blind, like the children of Israel, that God said to Isaiah, are going to be blind. Why? Because they're rebellious against my Torah. That's why. That's the problem there. That's why people are still in Babylon. That's why many people in our midst have contempt for the Torah of God. We are children of disobedience. That's why. And unless we come totally out of Babylon, all the poison that is injected into our veins, we'll remain in that and be partakers of the plagues of Babylon and be confused on this issue and that issue. How to govern the church, what laws to keep, what not to keep. Is God God? Or is it something else? And all the confusion, and many of us went to the totally to the three God. You know, the Babylon's uh, religion that they came out of. And the question is, did they ever come out of it? Anyway, in chapter, uh, we continue that. Let's continue here in verse uh, 38. As we read, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Eternal, that is the Most High, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You see, these were disobedient leaders. As we find many of them in our midst today. You know, just to show the word of God is on their lips, but it's not in their heart. And so they say, rebuke the disciples instead of being among them, glorifying God. Accepting, you know, the word of God, if they had been obedient, they would have believed Moses and the prophets. They wouldn't be in this category, but they were not. And so, that's what they said. Rebuke them. Verse 40, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if this should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. He wept over his church. We're not talking about the buildings. His wife. That's what he was weeping for. Weeping for his wife. With blind ignorance. After all the knowledge and understanding that he gave them through the prophets and Moses, they're still blind and ignorant. And when, when they see him who can bring them deliverance from the bondage, the harsh, cruel life in which they were, they still could not recognize him and therefore could not offer them salvation. And so he wept. What else can you do? You feel helpless. Verse 42 saying, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, 
But now they are hidden from your eyes. Why? Because of disobedience to the law of God. Because they do not believe Moses or the prophets. You see, people who have no faith are people who disobey the law of God. The two go together. One is the consequence of the other. So, when you call on Christ to increase your faith, well, obey more. That's what he told them. You know, if you just do what you're supposed to do, big deal. But you go over and above and beyond, you'll have more faith. That's the way it works. That's a formula for more faith. More obedience to the Torah of God. The more obedience, the more you have the nature and the mind and the character and the personality of God. More conviction. More faith. Verse 43, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. And it's not only in 70 AD, but it's speaking also in specific about the future before his coming as a glorious king of Israel. In verse 44, and they're going to level you and your children within you to the ground. In 70 AD, that's what happened. Rome came and leveled the city to the ground and plowed it under and called it Elia Capitolina, which they did not in 70 AD, but they did in 137 after the rebellion of Bar Kokhba. They wanted to totally decimate you know, the memory of Israel and call the land Palestine after the most hated enemies of Israel, the most hated enemies of David, and, you know, the, those people were still around. And they're still around to this very day. Many of the children of the Philistines. And God is still not over, you know, he's not finished with them. But he is going to finish with them, and there isn't going to be any Palestinian issue anymore, or Philistine issue, which means invaders. And so that's what he's saying, that you're going to be leveled to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, and that's exactly what happened in 70, and especially 137 A.D. Because you did not know the time of your visitation, did not recognize your God. Many people today do not recognize their God. We used to, at least to a degree. If they haven't known him personally, at least knew about him. I knew that he was a Christ, and now they even say, oh, no, he's not. Just a man. Anyway, we should stop at this point. This is Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions. The Bible has answers.